Last week, uh, we saw how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. It truly is the cosmic game changer. And because of, of the, the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, nothing will ever be the same. We'll see that same principle at work from this passage this morning, that the life-giving and life-changing message of forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ can change people's life, that it changes everything. In fact, in this section, we see that the gospel changed people so much, it changed people so much that it jeopardized the livelihood of silversmiths who made replica statues of Artemis. It changed people, not only in the city of Ephesus, but throughout the entire area of Asia Minor. That is cultural change because of the gospel on a city-wide and a region-wide level. The gospel of Jesus really does change everything. But one other thing that I think we can see from Acts chapter 19 Something that we'll see from the longest narrative in the book of Acts about the city of Ephesus is that even as the gospel changes everything, following Jesus in this world uh, is sometimes challenging because we follow Jesus Christ in a complicated world. We can all understand that, can't we? We see that God changes everything and the gospel is changing everything. But we also need to learn how to follow Jesus in a complicated, sometimes confusing world. Think about it. One of the reasons the it's complicated relationship status on Facebook is funny is because it's true. Tell me about your relationship with your dad. Eh, it's complicated. Tell me about how your kids are doing in school. What's going on with your, with your family? Um, it's complicated. And uh, we live in a complicated world. So we believe and we know and we trust that God really is changing things and the gospel changes everything. But some of the things that we can learn from Acts 19 here is how to live How to follow Jesus in a complicated world. So that's what I want us to think about this morning. And one of the first things I want us to see is from verses 21 and 22. Following Jesus in a complicated world means that we can trust God and lean into the future. Trusting God and leaning into the future. My sister has an Akita. It's a a type of dog. It's a dog breed and... One of the characteristics of this breed, it's a beautiful dog, my sister tells me, is that they are leaners. Akitas are leaners. So if this dog comes up to you and she's happy with you, you have to brace yourself because she will lean into you as she stands next to you. We also get the image of a toddler or a child leaning into his mother's arms or his father's arms. And one of the things that we can learn here from the first few verses of Acts 19, 21, and 22 is we can learn to trust God and lean into the future. After everything that's happened in Ephesus, after God's already been at work, after these people were converted, after people uh, brought their 
witchcraft and sorcery books and burned them. And, and God's name was being exalted. The Lord uh, continued to increase. The word of the Lord, it says in verse 20, continued to increase and prevail mightily. There's all this joy, and I'm sure there was so much energy that the Christians felt and that Paul also felt. And one of the things that we see is that he's thinking about the future. Even as he has experienced those blessings and that excitement about the Lord, he's thinking about the, the future. Look at verse 21. It says that he resolved in the spirit to go through Macedonia and Acacia, then to head to Jerusalem. And this wasn't simply uh, Paul saying to himself, hey, I think I'm going to do this. This was a reflection of the Spirit's direct guidance and leadership that Paul and the apostles experienced in the first century. And so he decided he wanted to pass back through Macedonia and Acacia. He was going back on his, and he was eventually going to go back to Jerusalem. And he wanted to go back to Macedonia and to Acacia so he could see the Christians And he could visit the churches that he'd already been to. So he wanted to check on his brothers and sisters, his friends in Philippi, in Athens, in Corinth, in Berea. He was going the long way around to make his way to Jerusalem. And he wanted to go to Jerusalem and he'd set in his heart to go there because he was, you remember he was taking up an offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. He wanted to go there to see the brothers and the sisters, and to see the apostles, to encourage them. And then it says in verse 21, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And I'm pretty confident that Paul wasn't saying here, I need to see Paris in the spring. He wanted to go to Rome because he was committed to taking the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the center of the Roman Empire. He was committed to go to Rome because he wanted to share the gospel with people there. And this gives us a glimpse of how we can live, how we can follow Jesus and lean into God and trust God and lean into the future as we live in a complicated world. I think one of the the applications we can think about for ourselves is this. Trusting God and having goals can be important. We live in a goal-oriented society, don't we? Did you hit your sales numbers for the quarter? What did you get on your Spanish exam? Did you hit the target heart rate that you have for at least 20 minutes each day this week? Sometimes goals can control us. We can obsess over goals. They can eat us up and they can burn us out. Sometimes goals can reduce life to numbers and results. But sometimes goals and hopes and targets can be good for us. My former boss had a lot of really good uh, quotes, Bebo Elkin, and one of them was, you know, Josh, if you don't have a target, you're definitely going to hit it. You know, so if there's no target, you're not going to hit the target because you're not shooting for anything. And uh, because Jesus Christ changes everything, and because we live in a complicated world, I think we have a window into the heart and mind of Paul and the Spirit here. 
And, and we can make short-term goals. He wanted to go to Macedonia and to Acacia to check on the churches there. We can make maybe medium-term goals where he wanted to get back to Jerusalem to take those financial gifts and meet with the apostles. And he had big dreams and, and big hopes. And he wanted to go to Rome. How can that translate into our lives? Well, you ever thought about having goals and plans and hopes about sharing the love of Jesus Christ with other people? About caring for your brothers and sisters? Hey, let's let's try to have people into our home maybe six times in 2016. That's not too overwhelming, is it? You know, maybe I can try to learn the names of my neighbors and figure out a little bit about their story because of Jesus Christ. Who are people that we could support and care for financially in our city? Maybe people that would help a care for the poor and the forgotten and the lost. What are big goals and dreams that we can have about God's work? What are the things that you think, I would love to see God do this, but I know it's too big. That's never going to happen. I think part of knowing that Jesus changes everything is learning to follow Jesus in a complicated world. And one of the things that that means is that we can have goals. Another thing that I think uh, is beautiful, it's kind of in passing here, is trusting others who trust in God. Think about it. Paul wanted to go back to Macedonia and to Acacia, but before he went, he sent Timothy and Erastus. He, He needed to stay in Ephesus for a little bit longer. He needed to stay in Asia. And so... He sent them. He trusted them to take the gospel message to the people. He trusted them to care for them. And uh, I think a big part of us trusting God and leaning into the future is believing that God uses other people. It's not just up to us. It's His work and He uses all kinds of folks and all, with all sorts of gifts to accomplish His purposes. Another thing I think we can see about trusting God and leaning into the future is trusting God when things don't go according to plan. You know that uh, Paul did get to go to Rome. We know the rest of the story. His dreams were fulfilled. He probably didn't go in the way that he thought he could, though. You know the story. He went to Rome as a prisoner of the Roman government. He went to Rome and he did get to tell plenty of people about Jesus. But it probably wasn't the way that he would have written it up in his playbook. It wasn't the way, I'm sure, that he had envisioned going to Rome, but God still used it in a mighty way. How many times in our lives Have we thought and hoped things would go one way and they ended up going differently? 
And those, those different paths were way harder and more difficult than we thought. And how many times in our lives has God used those paths to bring about good in ways that we could have never dreamed? I think about my parents' divorce. Uh, broke my heart when I was a kid. But it set the trajectory on us going to a certain church and me going through life in a certain way where I saw and knew Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't have resolution. We do live in a complicated world. And we don't know why. And we walk through the valley and we walk through the storm only knowing and relying on the fact that God is with us and there are other brothers and sisters who are willing to walk along that road with us. We live in a complicated world. And one of the things following Jesus means is learning, even step by step and day by day, to trust God and lean into the future. Another thing we can learn from Acts chapter 19 is that identifying idolatry has mixed results. Identifying idolatry has mixed results. As the story unfolds, it's, it's funny to me how this is written, there was no little disturbance concerning the way. Basically that means there was a big disturbance concerning the way. And there was a man named Demetrius who brought in no little business. That means he brought in a lot of business from making these silver idols to of, of the uh, goddess Artemis. So there was, there was an issue. Demetrius raised this issue. He called all the tradesmen together. He addressed them saying, our livelihoods are at stake. Paul is preaching that gods made with hands are not gods. Basically he's saying, if people stop worshipping Artemis, then our way of life... Our livelihood will dry up. And by the way, Artemis may even be counted as nothing. So let's think for a moment about what was happening. The backstory to all this is the fact that the gospel was growing. Idolatry, identifying idolatry can lead to life. It really can. That's the backstory. Behind the story of this is that folks throughout Ephesus and Asia had come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'd come to believe the good news of Jesus. It says in verse 26, You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. Turned them away from worshiping Artemis to worshiping the true and the living God. Worshipping Jesus. Having our idols exposed can seem very, very scary. But it can actually serve as a wonderful opportunity for us to turn to Jesus for strength and hope. That's what happened in Ephesus. That's what happened in Asia. People realized that trusting in Artemis or trusting in a silver statue that represented her or in anything else besides the creator is empty And it's hopeless. They were converted. They were changed. And isn't that part of the story of believers, of Christians now? Today? Our eyes were opened to see the glory and the grace of God. 
as the real source of life and hope. And many times we've come to that conclusion that there's hope in God when our, our idols, our sins, those things that we thought would bring us such great hope and joy, when they leave us hurting and empty and alone and trapped. That's the time so often that we understand that God is the source of our strength. That's when Jesus so many times comes to rescue us. And even as believers, as we saw last week, identifying idols that are currently in our lives and confessing them and turning from them to Jesus is one of the most life-giving things that we can do as believers. It's one of the blessings of being God's child. What are some of the clues? What are some of the signs that we have idols in our lives? What are some of the diagnostics that we can do to think about the idols that we may face as people? Here are some questions. What are the types of things that make you really, really angry? What are the things that push you to brood in resentment? What are the things that you think you have to have in order to be happy? Or if this was taken away from me, my life would be lifeless. It would be like a black and white film. There'd be no joy, no hope, no point. Idols in our lives are often connected with power and control and comfort and us trying to keep And get those things at all costs. There is this wonderful, there's this wonderful picture in the Bible from Jeremiah chapter 2. Where God through the prophet Jeremiah says these things. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me the fountain of living water. And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that hold no water. So God basically brings a charge against his people. They've forsaken me. I'm the one who gives them living water. And then they've tried to make these cisterns, these pots, and they're full of holes. And the image is so powerful. It's like, imagine pouring all of your life's hopes and dreams and work and future into something to, to be protected and kept. And as you poured it in, all that happened is it ran out all the ground. And that's the picture here. And what we see is that there's life in Christ. Identifying our idols can lead to life, and it did for so many people. But sometimes when our idols are identified, it can lead to an angry and hard heart. And that's what happens here with Demetrius. And it's easy for us to see the absurdity of his statement. In verse 26, he says, like outraged, Paul is saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Like, can you believe this? That's what he's saying. Now, we look at that and we say, well, obviously, if a god is something that's supposed to transcend time and space and to affect the world, do you think that that would be something that's made by the hands of a man or a woman. Demetrius was angry that his, his business was in jeopardy. 
there was a financial concern here, but he was really interested, and he was also interested in, you know, honoring Artemis, but he was really interested in keeping his pockets full of money. So he was confronted with the idols, but instead of saying, you know what, you're right, he fought back. He raised the stakes. And, uh, you know, in our lives and in our world, we've seen people do this. Maybe we've been the people that have done it before. It's not a problem. I've got it under control. Leave me alone. Just mind your own business. Don't pry into my life. I could stop any time I wanted. Part of the tension and reality of following following Jesus in a complicated world is that he identifies our idols. And part of the way that we can respond, the way that he wants us to respond is by faith. And to say, you know what, you're right. I need you more than these other things. I think another thing that we can see from Acts 19 is that following Jesus in a complicated world means that we can listen to other people. Listening to others. Demetrius gets this crowd whipped into a frenzy. Folks start crying out, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. And verse 29 says that the city was filled with confusion. They rushed into this public place. They grabbed the first Christians, the first associates of Paul. They could find Gaius and Aristarchus. They dragged them into the city's theater. Uh, I read in the commentaries it was maybe a stadium that could hold about 25,000 people. So the PMAC uh, on campus seats about 13,000. So twice as many people could fit in there as in the PMAC. There's this crowd, there's these people chanting and cheering. And verse, 20, verse 30 tells us that Paul wished to go into the crowd. Now I can just picture Paul. He never backed down from anybody. He was ready to stand up to all of these people. And he wished to go into the middle of the crowd. And there's something interesting that the Bible says. Verse 30, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, some of the, the Asian uh, leaders who were friends of his, we don't even know if those folks were Christians, they sent to him and they were urging him not to venture into the theater. Um, I picture, the picture that I've got here is of a a military officer who spent time with his soldiers on the field of battle and he has been promoted up up the ranks. And so now, instead of going to fight alongside of or even in front of his, his fellow soldiers, he has to stay at the command center. He has to help to direct the battle. He watches the eyes from the eyes in the sky to see what's going on. And as soon as things get difficult for those men that he fought with, you know where he would want to be. He would want to rush into the middle of the battle. But he needs to stay back at uh, the company command post or wherever he would be. And that's the picture I have here of Paul. He wants to go in the middle, but folks around him say, no, man, 
It's not worth it. You need to live to fight another day. You need to live to tell people about Jesus Christ on another day. This place is filled with confusion and craziness. Do not go in there. And they refused to let him go. And I think one of the applications for us is that part of following Jesus in a complicated world means that we need to listen to other people. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to do everything that others say. You know, if we just based everything that we do on the opinions of others, that would be uh, a difficult and challenging life, wouldn't it? It doesn't mean that sometimes people won't give us bad advice, but one principle is this, that we don't live on an island. We need each other. Listening to others is an important part of being a Christian and living the Christian life. So you're faced with a big or even not so big decision or question. It's natural, it's helpful, it's healthy to say to a friend or someone, hey, let me run, you, run this by you. What do you think about this? Because sometimes our, our thoughts and our decision-making process is shaded by great excitement that this is the best idea ever. And it takes a friend to come alongside and say, you know what, maybe this isn't the best idea. Or sometimes the, the things that we're faced with are shaded by such anger and bitterness and cynicism that we're just re- willing to say, no way, never. And a friend comes along and says, you know what, you w- really should think about this. Listening to folks is an important part of living the Christian life. We need help. You know, Christians should be some of the most equipped and most ready people in the world to say, I don't know what to do. What do you think about this? But a lot of times, myself included, we don't want other people to speak into our lives, partly because we know what they'll say and we don't want to hear it. Part of following Jesus in a complicated world means living, listening to others. Are you willing to listen to other people? Are you willing to live your life in community with others? I think that's one of the applications that we can make here. Following Jesus in a complicated world means listening to other people. The last thing I want us to see uh, from Acts 19 is following Jesus in a complicated world means that sometimes there is confusing chaos without clear conclusions. What do we make of what happened here? A Jewish man tried to stand up and make some sort of speech to the assembly, but he was hushed with a two-hour-long chant, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, just think of of the the raw, visceral uh, reaction that these people had. And the only one who was able to quiet the crowd was the town clerk, who was basically like the mayor. And he was a very good politician. He quieted the crowd. He said, if you have a problem, deal with it the right way. We're on the verge of being charged with a riot, which is something that the Roman government would not have looked uh, kindly on. He says some things. He's just simply trying to diffuse this situation 
And verse 29 says again, confusion filled the city. Some cried one thing, some cried another. And it seems that this shrewd politician was able to diffuse the situation, but what do we make of it? This crowd was dispersed, but it's not because they were convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The clerk prevailed, but it's not because all the people agreed with the way of Jesus Christ. Things worked out here for the brothers and sisters, but it's not a guarantee that things will work out like this each and every time. You just think about the lives of Jesus, of Peter, and others being beaten for preaching the gospel, of of Stephen losing his life for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in the next chapter, Paul will go to Jerusalem and he will be beaten because he names the name of Jesus Christ. Sometimes there's confusing chaos with no clear conclusion. And we're called to follow Jesus in the midst of... Of that. Jesus really does change everything, but sometimes we don't know what's going to happen in our lives. We can't just expect that because we're Christians, we'll be promised protection and ease and comfort. Just ask if you could, if we could ask our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for their faith, who have to worship God in hiding, they'd tell you. Yeah, I mean, don't depend on the government to take care of you in terms of your Christian faith. Sometimes there is confusing chaos. Sometimes things happen that we can't understand, things that we don't understand, things that blow our minds and break our hearts. And even in those times, especially in those times, we're called to follow Jesus. Do you guys know about a woman named Corrie Ten Boom? Corrie Ten Boom uh, and her family hid Jews in Nazi-occupied Holland. She was eventually sent to a concentration camp. And the following is a story about what she would often tell after the war as she went from church to church to tell about God's work in her life. And I've known about this story for a long time but I was re- reminded of it this week by my friend Becky Herod. And uh, this, is, this is what I want to close with. During Corey's presentations to audiences, she would often hold the backside of a piece of embroidery up to them. So think about the backside of a piece of embroidery, the backside of a rug. It would have hundreds of tangled threads hanging from it. Many people wondered if she was holding up the wrong side of mistake, by mistake. She would hold up the back side and say, look at this beautiful tapestry. Look at this beautiful piece of art and embroidery. She would say, does God always grant us what we want in prayer? Not always. Sometimes he says no. That's because God knows what we do not know. God knows all. Look at this piece of embroidery. The wrong side is chaos. But look at the beautiful picture on the other side. And then she would turn it around and she flipped the cloth over, revealing an elaborate embroidered crown symbolizing our crown of eternal life. 
And it was intricately stitched and had threads and many colors, including gold and silver and pearls. And she would say, we see now the wrong side. God sees his side all the time. One day we shall see the embroidery from his side and we'll thank him for every answered and unanswered prayer. And then she wrote this poem. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Let's pray. Father, so much, so many times we are just bombarded with the chaos of this world and the challenges that we face. Give us grace and hope and faith to trust in you and to follow you and to believe and know that you really have changed everything and you are changing everything even as we walk through this world Help us to love you and to love each other. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.